Hey, y'all. Your fam, Black Fluid Poet. Check it out. If you love this podcast, I want to thank you for favoriting the podcast because it means the world to me. However, the way I can get more advertisers is to have more subscribers. If advertisers um, see that um, I have a lot of subscribers, they will be more willing to give me opportunities to advertise for them. So in order for me to get these ads, I need to get to a decent amount of subscribers. So you come here to anchor.fm and you go to support and you can pick 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99. Please feel free to pick 99 cents. I, I, I am overjoyed at anyone who wants to support my dream of getting this podcast taking off. You know what I'm saying? So please just consider it. If I could get a thousand subscribers, I could get out of this poverty thing. You know what I'm saying? Because, yo, the struggle is real. Y'all take care. Hey, y'all. So check it, check it, check it, check it out. I just came across a new clothing line that is amazing. It is Jupiter's Art. This is a clothing line for non-binary people, right? So the clothes are genderless and uh, they are also sustainable. Um, There's carbon offset and they don't add anything negative to the environment. And they're also um, an ethical company with fair pay for their employees And they welcome uh, anyone in the spectrum of LGBT and race. It is owned by people of color and they deserve your attention. You can find Jupiter's Art on Instagram, on TikTok, and you can search for them on Google and find the website. It is amazing. Check it, check it, check it out. Wait till you see this jacket. Oh my God. It it is amazing. Y'all, you got to peep it. Jupiter's Art. Check it. Hey, y'all. You ever heard of an amazing young woman by the name of Zinzi Smith? Well, I have. And her and I had just an amazing conversation on Beyonce's internet. I will have you know that 20-year-old Zinzi Smith has her own black woman-owned business for an entire year now teaching spin classes. And let me tell you, she's enthusiastic. She wants the world to know that she's ready to help you shed them pounds from Thanksgiving and Christmas and help you keep up with that New Year's resolution that all of us middle-aged people like to make while we're still making them. So I, for one, am going to try and take one of her classes, just $15 for an online class with Zinzi Smith. She also teaches in person in studios in Brooklyn and in Queens and NYC. And all around, I got to tell you, I am just in awe of her. So you can reach out to her on Spin With Zin. That's Spin With Z-I-N on TikTok and on Instagram. And let her know that you heard it here on Black Fluid Poets Podcast. And you're trying to shed them pounds and keep up that New Year's resolution. You feel me? So, give her a shout out. Let me know how it went. Hey, everybody. How you doing? 
it's your boy, Black Fluid Poet, a.k.a. John S. Blake, coming to you from my humble abode of books during this pandemic paradise, this life experience that we're all sharing lately. This is December 29th at 1.54 a.m. in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Right now, it's just me and the bats. It's been an interesting 24 hours. Um, got into a discussion with some people on TikTok about depression and whether or not a person may need medication, the signs for depression, and how do you know if you have clinical depression or seasonal depression or, you know, could you just have the blues or, you know, how do you know when it's too much? When do you need a therapist? You know, and the funny thing is that some of us, too many of us actually, too many of us still look at therapy the way many people look at seeing a doctor. Like they won't go until, you know, the appendage is swollen and purple until... You have no room in your lungs to accept a breath until you just, you can't walk or your fever is so high that you are like seeing angels in the room. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you can afford to see a therapist right now and you've never been to therapy or maybe you went when you were a kid, go see a therapist. Just go see a therapist because I look at therapy the way some people look at buying a house. You know, there are people who know what to look for and people who don't. And if you don't know why you're feeling whatever it is you're feeling, or you don't know why you've lost interest or why you can't let go of a lover or you're worried about the future of your children and you're not sure you're, you're doing this parent thing right, it is time to talk to a therapist. It can't hurt to have the conversation. Just talk to a therapist and see where you're at. It can't hurt to just have the conversation. And then there were a couple of TikTokers because, I mean, a lot of people... Um, the information is lost on them when we talk about the, the demographics of TikTok. You're talking about 60% of the population on TikTok is under the age of 18. 60%. Now, I've gotten a lot of messages since doing this video about depression. And a lot of kids, and I use the word kids literally, have messaged me and said, how do I talk to my parents? Because I know I'm depressed, but they won't let me see a therapist. They won't let me get medication. They think they're helping me. My dad says, just focus on the positive. My mom wants to take me to church, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not sure how to 
respond. I'll tell you what I have said. I have said, if you're seeing a therapist, ask your therapist to reach out to your parents. Give your therapist permission to tell your parents how you're doing. And maybe invite your parents to your therapy session. If the depression has gotten really bad and your parents aren't listening to you, walk your ass to the emergency room and tell someone how you're feeling. And what I want to say is, if your parents are having a hard time with the idea of you being labeled, ask them, would they rather kiss you goodnight or kiss you goodbye? Because that's where serious cases of anxiety and depression lead. Teen suicide is still a thing, people. And kids who have parents who are more afraid of their child being labeled than their child being gone have just fucked up priorities. And there's so much that is so cosmetic about the nation we live in and the society we exist in and share. We are far too worried about how we look than how we truly, truly are. Another thing that came up is on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash blackfluidpoet. Um, I had written a piece about my sister, Lori. And my sister, Lori, it, we can't talk about mental illness without talking about my family. My family, my family is a textbook case, could be the metaphorical poster child for if only we went to therapy sooner. Both my parents were absolutely borderline personality. Both of them self-medicated with alcohol, with narcotics, cocaine, heroin. All three of my siblings, um, and myself included, all used drugs to cope. Because when you're raised by two parents that struggled with mental illness and no therapy, I mean, there was no sign of mental health in the 70s and 80s. There's barely a sign of it now in the 220s. So you could imagine what it must have been like in the 1970s and 80s. And the trauma that my siblings and I struggled through was horrific. My oldest brother didn't make it. My brother Frankie, he's in New York City, drinking himself to death. My brother Benny froze to death in an abandoned car in Brooklyn. Myself, I was lucky. You know, I ended up in foster care at uh, 17. And um, eventually went off to the military and came back from the military and ended up in therapy. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I had found a 12-step fellowship at that time in my life. Truly saved my life. And through that struggle, you know, I find myself now starting therapy over again uh, next week. I'm on antidepressants for the first time in my life, and I truly think it's the only reason why I'm here to tell you this story.
My sister Lori has been the veteran of trauma. My sister Lori is the only one of us that's never seen a therapist. She's never been to rehab, never been to detox, has never sat through a 12-step fellowship meeting a day in her life. She is 60 years old now, probably, about 59 actually. And the last time I spoke to her was, mm, say, about a year and a half ago. She was panhandling outside of a subway station in the Bronx, talking to me on a cell phone while begging for change. And my sister had been through an incredible amount of pain. Besides my mother, she was the only other woman in our house. She was the only one that stood up to my mother, argued back, cursed back, swung back, and survived to tell the story. Lori was the darkest of us, so it's safe to say she struggled with the most racism. Being a woman growing up in the 70s, 80s, I don't have to tell you that misogyny was reaching far and wide. My sister struggled with depression in so many ways, with poverty, with drug addiction, with being a woman, with being black, with having a poor education. She was oppressed in just about every possible way. Not to mention that I honestly believe my sister's been struggling with a mental illness and PTSD for a long, long time. I don't judge her for still using drugs. I don't judge her for choosing to panhandle on the street. The fact that she's still alive is a miracle. So I'm grateful. There was a time when I could have sworn my sister was dead. I just I just knew she had, was gone. We had lost touch. I hadn't spoken to her since our mother died in 2003. And God bless her. The last time I spoke to her, I thought my mother died in 2006. And you know, my sister, who's doing all the drugs, who's never had therapy, who's had the worst education of all of us, it was her who reminded me, no, she died in August 2003, dude. And I was like, are you serious? She's like, yeah, I'm serious. I remember. Remember you were wearing such and such. And I was like, man, I think of all the things my sister could have become if society didn't tell her when she was so young that she had to get married because she was pregnant. That she had to quit school because she was getting married. That she had to go wherever her husband went because that's what a wife does. That she had to take the abuse because that's what a woman does. And she had to tolerate the affairs because that's what a man does. My sister had the worst teachers in humanity. She got pregnant. At 14, and when she told my mother that she wanted to keep the baby because she was in love with the baby's father, 
I remember the dark hallway of a two-bedroom apartment on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And in that hallway, my mother held my sister up against the wall and tried to beat that baby out of her. I had a hard time forgiving my mother for that, but my mother, too, was under a lot of stress and strain. At that time, there were still four kids in the house. It was a two-bedroom apartment in the projects. My father was no help and nowhere to be found. My mother took all of it and did the best she could. And when my sister said that she was going to be having another mouth to feed, my mother just snapped. And I remember after she worked over her own daughter like that, my sister got up and said, you can't make me do it and walked out the room. And my mother, as my sister was walking out, said, well, then you better fucking marry him because I'm not paying for it. And, you know, poverty and mental illness and trauma causes so much dissociation that both my sister and my mother referred to this fetus as it. You can't make me do it. You can't make me get rid of it. Well, you better get married if you're going to keep it. They were so scared to make it human. Now, granted, a fetus isn't human just yet, contrary to what some people may believe. But that little microscopic clot of cells was bound to be a human being if my sister was going to continue with the pregnancy. And I'll never forget, I couldn't understand what the hell these two were talking about because there I was about, what, four years old, five years old, I think. I was about six. I was six years old when they had that fight. And I remember, who's it? What's this it? What are they talking about? (laughs) My sister got married at 15 years old and dropped out of school with my mother's permission. They got married at our church. She got married to an 18-year-old boy who was about to go in the army. And, you know, at six years old, I figured, wow, my sister's all grown up, you know. 15-year-old girl marrying an 18-year-old boy in a room full of adults. Grown-ass folk. And nobody said, are you out of your fucking mind? My mother included. All of us. My mother thought this was an escape from some of her financial struggles and, you know, she thought she was helping my sister to realize that you know, taking care of a kid is some grown-up shit. But the truth is, my sister would have been better off at home, still going to school, and all of us just trying to make it work. And yeah, it wouldn't have been easy. It wouldn't have been easy. But we'd have made it work. I mean, I wouldn't have been doing much. I was six years old. But it was possible. But at that time... You know, the psyches of so many women struggling back then 
I can't really talk about what exactly women were thinking. I mean, I'm not a woman. But I know what I saw. I know what I heard. If women weren't screaming for the man not to leave, they were screaming for the man to get out. The smell of alcohol. The broken glass from fights. The kids with bruises all over them. The girls crying over their stepfather's actions. All of this happening on a daily basis. And it makes me think of that saying, you know, water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. People all around. There's my sister, a 15-year-old pregnant girl. And all of these adults around her and no one to depend on. I can't fathom it, even though I was there at the time. I can't fathom what that must be like. I look back and I think about being a latchkey kid at the age of six. My sister having a baby at 15 getting married, moving out, raising a child. My mother, who was probably about 40 at the time. I try to imagine a 40-year-old woman think it's a good idea for a 15-year-old girl to get married. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. But nothing makes sense in poverty. Nothing makes sense in the projects. Nothing makes sense in the hood. Everybody's living by the moment. Last time I talked to my sister, after learning so much about trauma and, you know, classes I've taken at the university level, you know, feminist theory and you know, rape culture, misogyny, you know, the patriarchy, the capitalist system. I think about my sister trying her best to raise a baby with a high school dropout education all those years. And I think about, you know, the drugs my mother was doing and when my father wasn't around, the men that would come over who we referred to as uncle And a year and a half ago, I asked my sister, I said, Lori, can I ask you something personal? And she said, yeah, what's up? And I said, were you ever sexually assaulted in our house? And my sister laughed. Because some people hide their pain with humor. My sister laughed and said, John, I've been raped so many times, I lost count. I'm sure it happened there too. But I get them all mixed up. And I don't, I didn't even realize I was crying. You ever had that happen where you you just were crying so suddenly that it wasn't until the tears started itching your face that you're like, oh shit, I'm crying. What the fuck? That's where I was. And I said, Lori, I'm so sorry. And my sister, the fuck you sorry for, nigga? You ain't do the shit. And we both busted out laughing because that was our way. That was our way. We laughed through a lot of pain. And I said, nah, Lori, I'm just, 
man, I'm just fucking sad that I wasn't big enough, old enough, or smart enough to do something about it. And she said, me too. Me too. And then she said, be blessed. And I said, be blessed? Where the fuck did that come from? Who are you talking to? She's like, nah, I ain't talking to you, little nigga. I'm talking to the lady who just gave me $5. And I said, Lori, what are you doing? She said, I'm panhandling. I said, you're on a cell phone panhandling? And she's like, yeah. You know, I got to get my rock. I got to smoke up my night. She's almost 60. My sister has been smoking crack since, what, 84, 83? I swear to God, when it comes to some drug addicts, my sister, if there was a nuclear holocaust tomorrow, I'm telling you, there'll be roaches, rats, and my sister left on this earth. And when my sister got hungry, the rats better run. I want to say she's strong, but that wouldn't be the truth. I will say she's a survivor. And to me, that's good. Every day that my sister's breathing, there's hope that she'll come around to facing whatever pains that she has. Every day that her eyes open above ground, standing on her own two feet, is another day that my sister might get the help she needs and help somebody else. Either way, I don't think my sister has any regrets. If she does, she hasn't shared them with me and she tells me just about everything. And I know wherever she goes after this life, it's going to be beautiful. Because if there is a such thing as karma... She's earned it. She has earned the most exquisite existence a soul could have. And Laurie, if you ever hear this, just know I love you. Good night, everyone.